Good morning, church. Uh, we are going to be reading from Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. And while you're turning there, if you don't actually have a Bible, some of our incredible Frontlines teams have uh, a Bible to give you. And if you don't have one at home, you can just keep that as a gift. If you are using one of uh, the Bibles from our Frontlines team, it is page 978. I'll save you a little bit of time. All right, Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sam. She's great. I like her. Um, uh, we're going to talk about pot, so let's pray. King Jesus, we believe, uh, we stake our lives on the fact that you are our greatest good. You're our greatest good in life and in death, and that should ring true in every corner of our lives. And so today, as we explore this question, would we uh, hold that before us, that you're our greatest good? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you, some of you will know that I, well, my name's Spencer Adams. I get to be the pastor of Missional Living for Church of the City, if we've never met before. Some of you will know about me that for a number of years, I was a youth pastor. And when you're a youth pastor, you have a somewhat, conver- somewhat common conversation Uh, And it's a conversation revolving around alcohol, and it can, you know, sort of go down a variety of different paths, but usually the question sort of behind the conversation is some version of what is the big deal, right? Like, what's the big deal about this? I know that my parents, you know, drink when they go out on a date night or something, or I know these people that are drinking, that drink, and they're not bad people. Like, I don't really understand what the big deal is. And when I had these questions, or these conversations with students... Uh, again, they sort of went different ways, but I was always working towards uh, an answer, a, a two-part answer that I was going to give. Uh, and the two parts were some version of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. I'll just read it. It's not going to be on the screen. But children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Right? So you live under your parents' roof, so you've got to respect their rules. Right? Like what they say goes. And then there was the clincher, part two, uh, which was some version of Romans 13, verses 1 to 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, you're not of legal drinking age. It's illegal, uh, so don't do it, right? You live under your parents' roof. uh, It's not legal. Case closed. Now, As I think back on some of these conversations, I have a a bit of a nagging doubt. Um, And it revolves around uh, a a question. And the question is, what about when those students turn 19? Uh, What about when they are of legal drinking age? Or or what about when they move out from their parents' 
uh, home, and it's up to them to make those decisions. And I asked myself, you know, did I give the students that I was charged with discipling the tools to interact with alcohol in a way that was full of wisdom as they made their own decisions and full of grace towards the decisions of others? And if I'm honest, I, I, I doubt that I gave them those tools. I think too often I rushed to, you know, the imperatives, right? Just don't do it. Here's a couple reasons why, but don't do it. And I actually suspect that many church leaders, pastors in our country, at some point over the last year or so, felt a similar kind of pang of doubt that I just described. Uh, as we began to realize that marijuana was going to be legalized in Canada. Marijuana is legal in Canada, if you didn't know that. Uh, that happened officially October 17th of last year. We became, as far as I know, the second country in the world to legalize marijuana nationwide. And so before, to so the question, you know, can a Christian smoke pot, there was that easy Romans 13 answer, right? Well, it's illegal, so don't do it. But now it's not illegal, right? It's not illegal anymore. That argument, that answer doesn't work. And so we arrive at what I'm sort of calling my, my thesis, my main point this morning that we're going to work our way through. And it's, it's, it's a long one, so stay with me. It'll be on the screen. In a culture like ours that idolizes individualism and personal choice, the church must move beyond pat answers and begin to do two things. First, articulate a robust theology on the use of substances. And I say substances, not just marijuana. And, and B, cultivate hearts that desire the truly good life. Now there's a lot of words there in my, in my statement. Let's, let's start to unpack it. What do I mean when I say a culture that idolizes individualism and personal choice? Well, you've heard Matt talking a, a, a lot about this over the last number of weeks. Uh, he and I and others sort of in our pastor, pastoral team and elders are listening to podcasts and reading some books that talk a lot about this. One author who, who does that is a guy named Jamie Smith, uh, who wrote a book, How Not to Be Secular, and he was sort of, he was taking uh, Charles Taylor's book, The Secular Age, which is a thousand pages long, but a, a, a very important book, so I'm told I've not read the, the thousand page book, um, and he sort of condensed it down to a couple hundred pages, for those of us who have other things going on in our lives. Uh, and here's what he writes, okay? Now, in the age of authenticity, he's talking about the time that we live in now, with its expressive individualist outlook, we have a qualitative shift. The religious life or practice that I become part of must not only be my choice, but it must speak to me. It must make sense in terms of my spiritual development as I understand it. The expressivist forges her own religion, her own personal Jesus. It becomes less and less rational to accept any external constraints. A new spiritual injunction arises. Let everyone follow his or her own path of spiritual inspiration. And don't be led off of yours by the allegation that it doesn't fit with some orthodoxy. Right? Don't, don't be led off of it because somebody says, well, that doesn't really work or that doesn't fit. We live in a world, Matt talked a little bit about this last week, where people patch together their worldview based on what feels good, 
what gets them closer to whatever their vision is of the good life, or maybe just, we've got to be honest about this, maybe just what's easiest for them. And for anyone, God or the church included, to be a hindrance to that, to try and lead them in some other direction is one of the gravest of sins, right? Don't you tell me what's right and what's wrong for me. Like, I, I, I need to figure that out. So for us as the church, to, when it comes to this question of should a Christian smoke pot or how do we think about marijuana, for us to move from the argument, well, it's illegal, so don't do it, to, well, it's, it's immoral or, or wrong, so don't do it, I think that would be a, a grave mistake, right? We need a robust theology that thinks through how to think biblically, how to think theologically about substances, and we need hearts that desire the truly good life. Matt talks a lot about this, that just knowing things in our head, and Sarah mentioned this a a moment ago, just knowing things in our head isn't enough, right? Things need to sink down and affect our hearts. So we need to engage our minds and our hearts on this issue. So that's what we're going to attempt to do this morning. By way of some background, I think there are probably three groups of people in the room right now. The first are those who, who showed up in a cold sweat this morning um, because they want to hear me say a clear no with some finger wagging. No, no, no. Um, that's what you're really hoping for and that we'll just, you know, uh, close up shop and go home for the, for the day. Uh, there are those, the second group, there are those that are maybe secretly hoping that I'll give you the green light. No pun intended. Green light. Get it? A little, da- a little dad humor for you there. But there are those here in the room who are maybe like, you know, uh, maybe this is a part of my life, and so I'm hoping that I kind of get the okay here. Uh, And then the third group are those of you who are maybe uh, skeptical that this is as relevant an issue, at least for us as the church, to to spend a whole sermon on it, right? A whole Sunday morning. You're, You're like, I don't think we're quite there yet to have to think about this so much. Obviously, the first two groups that I mentioned, they're engaged with what we're talking about. Um, but I hope those of you in those first two groups, either one of them, realize that it's not as simple as yes or no. It's more complicated than that. I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible doesn't strictly address marijuana. Thou shall not smoke marijuana. Uh, isn't in there. Or thou shall. Uh, also not in there. Bad news. For those of you in group three, you're like, is this really that relevant yet? Um, like, I know it's, you know, a part of sort of our, our the national conversation, but it's important for us as the church, or for us like right here, you know, in my neighborhood or whatever. For those of you in that group, listen to some realities about our very own royal city, okay? Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health uh, last year did a survey as we were heading towards legalization. They wanted to understand you know, what are people in sort of our region here, in our city, what are people's attitudes towards marijuana, what are people's practices around marijuana, and so they did this survey, and uh, they got thousands of responses, uh, 2,700 of them ended up being, you know, fully valid, uh, statistically, responses, and, and so I want to give you a couple of key findings from their report, okay? Uh, listen to this. Over one-third of respondents indicated that they had used cannabis in the last year. Over one-third. This finding is higher than recent Canada-wide surveys that suggested that approximately 15 to 22% of the population has used cannabis in the last year. 
I figured that we were ahead of the curve, but that still surprised me. Over one-third had used marijuana in the last year, not at some point, within a calendar year. And then another interesting finding, most respondents in, in this sort of condensed version of the report, they didn't give the actual percentage here, but they say most respondents, the majority, believed that cannabis use was beneficial, socially acceptable, and it would be easy for them to access in the next 24 hours. The majority of respondents believe that, that it's beneficial, it's socially acceptable, and it would be easy for them to get. If that doesn't make you think that this is a relevant conversation for us here in Guelph, I don't know what will, right? This is important for us to think through, for the church to be able to articulate our thoughts around. So, as we go this morning, we're going to sort of look at this from two sides. We're going to spend much more time on the first side, which is weed and me. Uh, the second is, there's some smart Alex sitting out there going, it should be weed and I. Um, but weed and me rhymes better, especially when you hear part two, which is weed, me, and my community. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's start with weed and me. How do I as a follower of Jesus, think about a substance like marijuana, okay? And I want to look, I want to think about two things here. The first is this. It may be legal, but is it wise? Now, there are some of you out there, probably in that group too, who are kind of hoping that I'll give you a thumbs up here, that are thinking, come on, that's just another pat answer, right? Like wisdom, this kind of like, you know, hard to pin down subject in scripture. Throughout, the library of scripture, we see the elevation of wisdom as one of the primary filters through which a person ought to order their life. And if you've spent any time in scripture, you know that sort of the epicenter for that is the book of Proverbs. Look at this verse from Proverbs 14, 16. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. One who's wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Think about how many of society's ailments could be solved if people gave some consideration to wisdom as they made their decisions, right? How about this? This is cheap, but is it wise? I can tell you I would buy a lot less chips if I stopped and asked that in the aisle, the chip aisle at Zares, right? This is cheap, but is it wise? How about this? This is pleasurable, but is it wise? I think we'd see a lot less people exploited in the porn industry, for example. How about this? This is relaxing, but is it wise? Again, I would have watched a lot less Netflix in my life uh, if I stopped and asked that question every so often. This leads, though, you're probably getting there in your mind, to an important question, right? What is wisdom? What is wise? What if your definition is different than mine? Well, we're going to get there in a moment because I think for some of us in the room, our paths will diverge. But I think there are some reasons as we think about the use of marijuana that all of us can agree we should at least pause and consider the wisdom of our sort of interactions with marijuana, okay? Some reasons that all of us, whether you're a believer uh, a Christian or not, that I think we can agree there at least needs to be some, some thoughtful consideration given to the wisdom of marijuana, okay? The first is, we don't know nearly as much about this substance that our society has become so enthusiastic about. Um, we just don't know a lot about THC, its effects on the body, 
Malcolm Gladwell, some of you will know that name, an author, uh, journalist, as if you've ever read any Gladwell, you know that he has this ability to take like volumes of information and put it together in this really engaging way. And he wrote this article for the New Yorker called, Is Marijuana as Safe as We Think? And sort of the, the bones of the article was uh, talking about a National Academy of Medicine, which I believe is in the U.S., uh, a report that they did that was intended to bring together all of the different scientific studies around marijuana into one place and sort of synthesize it all. Okay, and here's what he said. The report they prepared, which came out in January of 2017, runs to 468 pages. It contains no bombshells or surprises, which perhaps explains why it went largely unnoticed. It simply stated, get this, over and over again that a drug North Americans have become so enthusiastic about remains a mystery. Remains a mystery. He goes on a little bit later. He says, then come chapters 5 through 13. The heart of the report, which concerned marijuana's potential risk. The haze of uncertainty, good little play on words there, Malcolm. The haze of uncertainty continues. Does the use of cannabis increase the likelihood of fatal car accidents? Yes. By how much? Unclear. Does it affect motivation and cognition? Hard to say, but probably. Does it affect employment prospects? Probably. Will it impair academic achievement? Limited evidence. This goes on for pages. You know, Gladwell's words here, they remind me of a verse I once read in Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 16, it says, one who's wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. In case you fell asleep, I read that verse two minutes ago. Okay, so we do not know as much about marijuana and its effects on the body as we ought to. The second thing, the second reason that I think all of us, Christian or not, ought to at least pause and consider the wisdom of marijuana is that one of the few things that the scientific community has agreed on is that there is a strong correlation between habitual marijuana usage and certain mental illnesses. Okay, I said correlation. They're not sure how all, how the sort of correlation does not mean causation, right? They're not sure how all those things work. But again, listen to Gladwell. As the National Academy panel declared in one of its few unequivocal conclusions, cannabis use is likely to increase the risk of developing schizophrenia and other psychoses. The higher the use, the greater the risk. One of its few unequivocal conclusions. So I think, as I said, those of you sitting here who are, you just showed up this morning, and you're like, what is happening here? Why are, I'm in a church. Why are we talking about weed? Um, and those of you who, who knew we were going to be talking about this, those of you in this room who are uh, Christians, I think there are reasons for all, these are reasons for all of us to stop and consider the wisdom of marijuana. Now here I think it's important to give a quick caveat, and that is uh, the idea, the, the question of medicinal usage. I think that one can at least make the argument that marijuana could be both legal and perhaps wise, when prescribed by a medical professional and used with medical supervision. I don't know if you know this, but I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm a pastor. And so I will leave that, those of you who are Christians, I'll leave that to you, your doctor, and the Holy Spirit. I personally, based on my reading and uh, research for this message, I'm still not convinced that that's uh, a great option on a personal level. Um, But again, I'm a pastor. Uh, If you're a Christian here, you have the Holy Spirit. So I'll leave that to you. 
Okay, here's where I think that wisdom, I said, uh, I think there are some considerations that all of us can agree on, you know, thinking through the wisdom of marijuana, and then there would be a point where our paths diverge, whether you're a Christian, you're going to go one way, and if you're not, you might travel another, because here's why. Anyone's view of what constitutes a wise choice depends on who you want to be, right, or what your vision of the good life is, right? Your view of what a wise choice is is going to differ from the person next to you, especially if you aren't a follower of Jesus, your vision of who you want to be, right, could just dramatically, dif- dramatically differ from your neighbor, say. But for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we have staked our lives on the claim, as I prayed, that our greatest good, our greatest good is found in God, his glory, and his view of human flourishing. So wisdom for us as believers isn't some internal compass blowing, you know, wherever. Uh, It's determined by Scripture and the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's how we determine what a wise choice is because we believe, after all, that God is our creator, right? So he's going to know what's going to lead to human flourishing. He made us. This brings us to our second point in, in weed and me, and that's that you are what you love. Again, Matt began talking about this a little bit last week. Uh, if you'll journey down this uh, lane with me to one of our church fathers, Augustine. I had both British professors throughout my educational time and American ones, so I end up saying Augustine and Augustine sometimes. So we're ta- I'm talking about the same person, okay, if, if I bounce back and forth. Augustine said, you've probably heard this, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. If you ever, it, it just sounds nice, but if you ever stop to really consider, he's making a, a far-reaching claim, right? He's claiming that we are made by God for God, right? That he is our creator. He's claiming that we are worshiping creatures. Matt spent a lot of time on this last week, that everyone is putting their faith, their trust, their worship in something. As I was preparing this week, I thought about um, a baby, and a baby who, you know, trips and falls or gets scared by something. Um, those of you who have kids in the room will probably know what I'm talking about or those who've spent a lot of time around little babies and stuff. They, when that happens to a baby, right, they trip and fall or they get scared. They want to be held, right? They, you can tell that baby wants to be held right now. They want to be picked up. But they want to be held most by their mom, most likely, Right? dads in the room, you know like the sting of that, uh, the, the rejection there, right? But, but do you know what I'm saying? That baby, it wants to be held. It doesn't, it's not going to be like, you're not my mom, put me down, right? No, it wants to be held, but it wants to be held most. It's going to be most at peace, most at rest when it smells its mom, when it hears the song that its mom sings, right? And human beings are like that. We all want to be held, Right? But only God can give us the peace and the rest and the fulfillment that we most deeply desire. And only a restored relationship with God offers us that. Uh, James K. Smith, Matt, uh, quoted this book a little bit uh, last week, You Are What You Love. He says, to be human is to be for something, directed toward something, oriented toward something. To be human is on the move, pursuing something. I think he's getting paid for every use of the word something. After something. But then here's the the best part. We are like existential sharks. Uh, 
We have to move to live. You know how a shark has to, this is like Shark Week 101, a shark has to keep uh, swimming uh, to breathe. Humans, we have to find something to put our, our deepest desires, our trust, our worship in. And then Smith, through the course of his book, he digs one level deeper on this to think about how how human beings have these deep longings and desires and we actually order our daily lives around these things. He talks about how our deepest desires will affect our daily actions and choices, but at the same time, how our daily actions and choices will in turn affect our deepest desires, right? If you've if you're in a missional community and you've gone through the book Gospel Fluency, the terms that that, that uh, Vanderstelt in that book puts it is that uh, you talk about what you love, right? Your deepest desires will shape, you know, your daily life, what you talk about. You talk about what you love. But on the flip side, you love what you talk about, something that you spend all your time, you know, investing your daily energy in. You'll begin to love that thing. Smith goes on in his book, if the heart is like a compass, then we need to regularly calibrate our hearts, tuning them to be directed to the creator, our magnetic north. It's crucial for us to recognize that our ultimate loves, longings, desires, and cravings are learned. And because love is a habit, our hearts are calibrated through imitating exemplars and being immersed in practices that over time index our heart to a certain end. Sarah, without realizing it, talked about this, right? We might say that discipleship is the regular recalibration of our hearts towards our greatest good, which if you're a follower of Jesus, we believe is God. So a wise choice for a disciple of Jesus part of that consideration will be, is this habit, is this thing that I'm considering consuming or engaging with, is it going to orient my heart towards its greatest good, towards God? And I would suggest, friends, that a disciple of Jesus is actually disorienting their hearts from God when they choose to get high. Let's just quickly think about much of the New Testament is spent saying, hey, here's what a disciple of Jesus looks like, right? Here's what, here's what their lives are characterized by. And I put a, a little list together here. Disciples are sober-minded people in 1 Peter 4, 7. They're self-controlled. That shows up all throughout Scripture. They're looking to Jesus for their rest. Come to me, all who are burdened, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Disciples of Jesus aren't mastered by anything but God. Remember when Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. It'll crush you. You can't do it. And then I, I, I kept reading after my message was done, and so I kept adding things to this list. Oh, I have not conformed to this world's patterns, but seeking the renewal of their minds. And then I added a couple more as I continued to read. Right, disciples of Jesus recognize that pain and suffering can actually be for our good. Right? That's contrary to what the world believes. Wow, pain and suffering, let's, let's escape from that. And drugs are, are a, a, a great way to do that. But disciples believe, hey, actually, you know, as Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God used that for good. 
God can work beauty and good things out of pain and suffering. And finally, disciples of Jesus, we recognize that we are creatures created with limits and boundaries. Creatures, creatures created with limits and boundaries, right? And our greatest joy is going to be to live within those. Think about how much of drug use is an attempt to break apart the boundaries around our existence and around our lives, to either, you know, stop experiencing pain or, or not even to, just to stop experiencing tiredness, right? Just think about coffee, like the one of the most basic drugs, right? I, I'm not going to listen to my body when it tells me to rest. I'm going to medicate myself through coffee. And so, I know, I'm, I, I need to hear that one. Um, so when you see me at Planet Bean this week, just give me a look and I'll know what you're, what you're saying. And so when we arrive at the passage that Sam read this morning, I think at this point we have a better perspective on what we're reading here. Ephesians 5, 15 to 19. Paul saying, look carefully then how you walk. How you walk, right? Your day-to-day actions. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not thinking that the way that you live your daily life doesn't have any sort of effect on, you know, your ultimate loves, your ultimate considerations, your, your view of the good life, right? Those things, your walk today matters. Make the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We need the Spirit to do that daily recalibration of our hearts. We need to be filled with the Spirit, not filled with some other substance on a regular basis, thinking that that somehow doesn't affect our deep longings and desires. So that's weed and me. Let's briefly talk about weed, me, and my community. Because as believers, as Christians, we have one final consideration to make when thinking about whether or not to light up. And that is the family of God. Let's say that you, uh, you work through this and you are able to come to the place where marijuana for you feels like a wise decision. Perhaps that medicinal case that we talked about. And you think through it, that whole you are what you love consideration, and you feel like uh, that, you know, the use of marijuana is not going to jeopardize your love for God, your discipleship to Jesus. I have news for you, and that is that you still have the responsibility to live in such a way that puts the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ above your own personal liberties. That's our responsibility as believers, to put the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God, above our own personal rights, our freedom of choice. Love trumps liberty. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 14. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. There's a lot of like heavy language in there, isn't there? 
Really quickly, what Paul is addressing there is in Rome, there were two groups of people in the church. There were these Jewish Christians who were unsure how their new faith in Jesus interacted with their old system of belief, right? All of the Jewish laws and customs that were so deeply ingrained in them. They were like, how do these two things, you know, fit together? And then there were those, perhaps Gentile believers, who, you know, just weren't bothered by all of those things, right? They saw with joy all of the freedom that they had in Christ. In one particular sort of area where this came to a head was in uh, food, right? Because, you know, if you've read the New Testament much at all, you know there are like these strict regulations about foods that are clean and unclean. So recognize here that Paul's not talking about sin issues, right? Uh, you know, he's not saying like, well, you know, uh, if you think it's okay to sleep around, but someone else is bothered by it, don't sleep around. Um, no, he, he's, he's not talking about sin things, things that the Bible clearly condemns. He's talking about these things that are, you know, one person feels a conviction about and another might not. So the family of God ought to be characterized by a love for each other that is strong enough to outweigh differences in convictions. Uh, one commentator on this passage said it this way, the Christian is not to despise or treat with contempt those who are still working through the relationship between their new faith in Christ and the psychological and emotional pressures of a previous orientation. You're saying, bring this back to marijuana for me. There are people, I know there are people in this room who at some point in their lives, perhaps right now, have had an unhealthy relationship with substances, and particularly with marijuana. I know that there are people in this room. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is if we love each other enough to forego our own rights to love those people well, right? Because there's an area that the rest of us, that I struggle with, that I hope they're going to do that for me. Do we love each other well enough to forego, you know, personal freedoms for the sake of the good of our brothers and sisters? This is why, friends, if you're in a missional community, it is so important that you're able to be open and honest and vulnerable with each other to know where, what these things are in each other's lives, right? So that you can love each other well in these areas, right? If you never get there, then you don't know how to take care, how to, you know, treat with respect your brother or sister, We're almost done here. Um, I suspect that the majority of us in this room, when you walked in this morning, you didn't have a joint waiting for you at home that you were kind of on the fence about uh, smoking. I suspect that most of us, you know, were, were, most of us were fairly certain about where we landed on this. And so my encouragement to those of you who that applies to is to spend our last minute or two here examining your heart and the attitude that you have towards marijuana users. You know, it's easy for, I found myself, you know, as I was doing reading and stuff, just think about how, like, man, they're just, like, they can't handle, like, the stresses, the challenges, the problems of life, so they go chasing this, this high. Or they can't find, like, a responsible way to enjoy themselves, so they turn to, to marijuana. And here I want to remind us that before uh, the saving grace of God appeared in each one of our lives, we were all chasing some lesser thing to bring ourselves joy, pleasure, 
or to just escape from the hurt and pain that we've experienced in our lives. We were all chasing something. You've maybe heard these verses uh, in Matthew chapter 9. It says, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. In verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And notice when he talks about the crowds there, he doesn't really like define who they were, right? He's not saying, oh, and he looked at the religious people and thought, oh, they're harassed and helped. Or he looked at, uh, you know, the, the, all these tax collectors that were following him. It, it just says the crowds. And as I prepared, I thought about Jesus looking out over our city. Uh, anyone ever driven along City View Drive there at night? It's, it's aptly named City View Drive because you have a great view of the city, just to let you in on that. So we're in the East End, and you do. You have this, like, beautiful view of Guelph. And I thought about Jesus standing there looking over our city, uh, and he's looking at workaholics, right? People who are gladly, you know, doing hours-long commutes, uh, you know, into Toronto because that's where they find their worth. I'm not saying that a commute is sinful, but those people who, who you know, are like, that's, that, you know, that is where I find my value and worth in life. Jesus is looking at them. He's looking at the religious folks, right, who are like, if I order my life perfectly, then God will be pleased with me. Jesus, as he looks out over Guelph, he's looking at the, the polyamorous, right, who think, like, if I get enough people around me who love me, uh, then I will, that'll, like, fill these deepest longings that I have. And he's looking at the potheads. And as he looks at our city, he has compassion on it, on us, right? Because apart from a restored relationship with God our Father through Jesus, we are all harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, So my prayer is that we can go out into our city with that compassion ourselves, right? Because we were shown it, and so let's show it to the city around us. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we know, we are deeply aware, I hope, that apart from uh, your grace, and your work on our behalf, um, we are sheep without a shepherd, um, harassed and helpless. Uh, But when your goodness appears to us, everything changes. Um, Hopefully, I pray that not only do our hearts change at a deep level, but actually our daily lives change because they're oriented around something different, something better. And so, God, I pray that uh, as we leave considering this question that your word doesn't give us a, a crystal clear statement on, that we would consider what kind of people we are becoming and how the decisions that we make every day contribute to that and how those things might be a witness to the people around us of our greatest hope that is in you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen.